All right, so the Olympic break is over, and uh, it's about to be over, and the Rangers are back at it. They have three games and four nights here to kick off the stretch run here as they try to jockey for playoff seating in the Eastern Conference. Currently second in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, they'll start things up without Matt Zuccarello for a few weeks, and they'll start things up against the Blackhawks Thursday night at Madison Square Garden. And joining me today to uh, to get back into things with NHL is Ryan Brandell from Barstool Sports Chicago. Um, you might know him as Chief on Barstool Sports Chicago. He writes about the Blackhawks. Ryan, how's it going today? It's going pretty well, Neil. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And I know uh, coming off this uh, sort of devastating Olympic performance by Team USA over the final uh, couple games there against Canada, against Finland, um, you know, I, I talk about how uh, my biggest fear with this team when it was first announced uh, back on New Year's Day with the Winter Classic was that I was scared they wouldn't score enough goals. I thought they were sort of sort of more of a star-studded version of the Rangers in that they'd rely on uh, some steady defense and really their goaltending to win games. And I was proven wrong in the first round and against Czech Republic in the quarterfinals when they sort of rolled through everyone, uh, scoring 20 goals in those four games. And then uh, my biggest fear sort of was realized in those last couple games there where they held scoreless for two games. And, um, you know, I don't want to put it all on his shoulders, but Patrick Kane is the face of USA Hockey, sort of comes up shorthanded there. And it's, I don't think it's fair to put it on him only because goal scorers go through these slumps. They sort of get snake bitten at times, and he certainly was that with the breakaways, the penalty shots, the shootouts, uh, those couple shots that almost went in against Canada could have changed that game. But as a Blackhawks fan and someone watches him, you know, day in and day out throughout the season and now throughout his entire career, are you disappointed with the way Kane performed in Sochi? Obviously, I would have liked to see him score. Um, I don't really care so much about the, the penalty shots and the bronze medal uh, game against Finland. He struggled in the shootout all year long, uh, so it didn't really surprise me when he didn't convert on those. But in terms of his overall play and his performance, I, I thought he played pretty well. He had the puck a lot. He did a lot of the things uh, with regroups and zone entries that make him an effective player for the Blackhawks. Um, he did have four assists in the six games, so I, you know he was a point per game player until we ran into Canada and Finland when they got shut out. So I think, yeah, obviously I wish that he would have had a goal or two against Canada, and he did have a couple close calls as you mentioned. But in terms of his overall play, I thought he was fine. The puck just didn't hit the back of the net, and. You know, that happens sometimes. And Parise, if that one that came put on Parise's stick in front of the net goes in, you know, and that ties the game against Canada, you know, we're having a different conversation. Yeah, and I, I know you had said on Twitter, I saw a tweet where you said he was basically, you know, on the brink of becoming a hero for the American team if he if he puts that breakaway in against Russia in overtime, um, if a couple of those pucks find the net against Canada. So it seemed like, you know, he was always in the mix. He was controlling the play in the offensive zone. He He looked like the normal Patrick Kane. He just wasn't finishing. Right, and, and that, that's the perfect way to say it. It's not like he was passive or, um, you know, out of, out of sorts. Like, he was playing his game. Like, when, you, when Patrick Kane's really an effective player for the Blackhawks, and he did this a lot for USA as well, the puck is on his stick. So we saw, you know, when he was on the ice, he would go back uh, in regroups and get the puck in his own zone or at our own blue line and come up and attack the, uh, the offensive zone with speed. Uh, before dishing it off to somebody else to set up the attack in the zone. And I thought he did a lot of that uh, in the tournament. But like you know, we've talked about and everyone's talked about, he normally comes up with, you know, he pots a couple. <laughs> and, that, and that would have made the storyline and his tournament a lot better. But I don't, I mean, he, I think he was getting unfair criticism from Milbury and from <laughs> a lot of people because of 
you know, the box score didn't look the way we wanted it to, and the way and the, and the way he wanted it to. I mean, obviously, everyone involved wanted Patrick King to score more. Just didn't happen. And uh, but I don't think he was bad, or his effort level uh, was was poor. Uh, Biosmus credited Kane as one of the best two-way players in the tournament. So I, I really, I'm I'm proud of his performance. I like the way he played. Just you know. As everyone in America wishes, and wish he had scored. Yeah, and I think the thing with him is uh, he, he's so good and he's so talented that, um, you know, I obviously don't get to see him as much as you do, but he sort of makes the game look too easy. Like, he has this sort of what I like to call the Robinson Cano factor where, you know, he, he almost looks lazy at times because it's so easy, but he just moves so slowly and so fluently through the offensive zone, and I think people, you know, sort of get on him for that, and they think he has this uh, sort of laissez-faire, carefree attitude, uh, which isn't the case at all, and I saw his post-game quotes with the media that, you know, he, uh, after the Finland game, which was a game that the bronze medal, I mean, no one's really going to be too happy about that, and he was one of the few USA players that looked like he gave it his all that game, and he was disappointed, and, you know, he said uh, no goals and four assists is, isn't good enough, and uh, it seemed right. like he was embarrassed by his performance, so it's not like he didn't really try, it's not like he didn't care, and like you said, guys like Milbury and some of the other mainstream uh, guys that cover the game, they sort of were out of line with the way they handled it. I thought so, too, and I, and I normally love Milbury. So when I saw that quote, I was like, my jaw dropped because I think people that know hockey that really follow the game, like you and and me uh, and a couple other people that uh, we've talked to, they they saw you know that Patrick Kane was effective. Uh, the United States' best chances to score against Canada were when Kane was on the ice. He was a dangerous player, but in the, on the big ice sheet where you know it's really hard to come by goals, we didn't you know, get the extra bounce or the extra, you know, you missed the prison missed by an inch on a pass from Kane. Kane himself missed on a couple of shots that Price made good saves on. It was just, we were a hair off and Canada was better, but I thought Kane played well. The finish just wasn't right. So, yeah, I agree. And and you mentioned there about Kane and how uh, he is the best player on the ice and he gave them the best chance to score. And now with your Blackhawks, it seems like you have a few of those guys where when they're on the ice, it gives other teams a problem. And as for the Rangers, I mean, the only really true guy that I think other teams get nervous about is Rick Nash. He doesn't necessarily have the best supporting cast to get the job done like he could be if he was on, uh, you know, a better line or something where you guys mm-hmm. have, where you have you could run hosts out there with Kane, Taves, Sharp, uh, you know, mix and match or your superstar uh, offensive players. But for you guys, I mean, you have a lot of guys that have that superstar credibility, have that feeling where they carry the puck over the blue line. Opposing fans start to get worried. Um, you know, what is the best combination? For you, when it comes to the Kane, Caves, Hosa, uh, Sharp, I feel like when I was at the game, my first time in Chicago, actually, this past January when they played uh, the Rangers and that Rangers 3-2 win, it sort of seemed like Quenville shuffled things a little bit, um, didn't have Kane up front with the guys who sort of have more firepower. It sort of took me by surprise. And after watching him with Team USA and uh, just seeing more of him, he definitely has the best abilities on the Blackhawks. So it seems like maybe they're trying to balance things out. But what is the best line combinations for your guys? Well, I, I think that for the most part this year, um, Kane has been on the quote-unquote second line, and he's rotated through centers and wingers. So it's really been Kane in the next year, um, and he's still put it up points. But in terms of our best combo, it's been that top line where you have Holtz on the right side, Taves up the middle, and Sharp on the left. So you got two guys that are um, with Taves and Holtz that are great 
puck producer, or great puck possession guys in the zone. Host is an ox. Taves is a workhorse. Like they just they're able to you know grind and cycle and carry the puck in the zone. And then Patrick Sharp, who who works hard himself, but he's a you know bona fide goal scorer, and he ends up being on the right end of a lot of the work that uh, Taves and Host does. So it's really a dynamic line. That's our best line. Still trying to figure out the second line. They've tried uh, Brandon Terry, who's an um, he was AHL All Star Game MVP. He was uh, a leading scorer in the AHL last year, but he hasn't been able to stick with the Hawks after you know after a couple chances. They've reacquired Christopher Speak. Uh, they tried him on the left side with Kane. Brandon Saad played on the left side with Kane, always on the right, but they haven't quite got that. Uh, that combination yet. What's really hurt our balance is Bickle taking a big step back this year. Because when we could put Bickle on the top line, um, then that allows Sharp or or Hosa to bounce down a spot, and then now you have two superstars on each line. But uh, Quenville's been loading up that top line with with three stars and letting Kane kind of try to produce almost on his own at times with that second line, and it's worked out. Kane was uh, top five. I think he probably still is top five in the league in scoring. So that's what he's going with. Uh, he does, like like you said, like to juggle the lines. Um, so I'm sure come playoff time, he'll play his hunches, and he's great at that. So no real concerns going forward. The way the Blackhawks went those last few weeks before the break, they sort of struggled. And, I mean, going back, I can remember a few, uh, you know, parlays I had them in where they cost me dearly against uh, the Jets yeah. and the Flames. And, Sorry about that. <laughs> and when you look at their team, I mean, they have 84 points. They're tied for first place in the Central with the Blues. They they only have 11 regulation losses. It's like, it's sort of a joke with they, sh- I mean, to me, they struggle down down the stretch there right before the break. But in reality, I mean, they're pr- if not the best team in the entire NHL, they're top two, top three teams. And for them to even yeah. have sort of a letdown period for a week or two just seems out of the ordinary. I mean, is there any weaknesses on this team? Yeah, I, I would like the second line is, is kind of a problem. Uh, it's been finding a second line center has been an issue for like five or six years now. They've never been able to find that, you know, that really great pivot to slot in behind Jonathan Taves. So that's kind of a problem. Last year they, they traded for Hanzus at the deadline and everyone was like, okay, this guy's not even in the lineup for the Sharks. We brought him over and plugged him into that second line and he squeezed, you know, 30 good games and a Stanley Cup out of them. So I think the Hawks tried to go and dip into that well again and acquired a couple of New York guys, the Islanders. I know you're more of a Rangers guy, but they trade for Peter Regan and Pierre-Marc Bouchard. Uh, Bouchard's in the AHL right now, as I'm sure you're aware, because uh, his price tag is too steep for the Hawks. But they're going to try Peter Regan, it looks like, on that second line. I'm not too optimistic, but we'll see how she goes. But that's the weakness is finding – uh, you know, a second line center to play with Kane or whoever Q wants on that uh, second line. I've always said that if the Blackhawks had, uh, you know, someone of, like Henrik Lundqvist, or if they had Henrik Lundqvist, they'd just run the table every season. They'd start their own <laughs> dynasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and it yeah. just seems like last year, I remember going, you know, in the playoffs, and uh, especially in the Stanley Cup final against the Bruins, there was a lot of criticism of uh, Crawford, people just ripping his glove hand every game. And it wasn't until they finally won that the criticism stopped, because what are you going to say about the goalie on the Stanley Cup winning team? But is goaltending still a concern or an issue, or do you trust this guy now that he's won? I, I've, I've always been a Crawford guy. Um, he, he's 
been with the Hawks for years and years and years. I think he did six years in the minors before he really got a shot uh, with the varsity. So I'm pretty familiar with him. Um, I think the glove hand thing was overblown. He got beat upstairs a lot in that game, but I don't know why he caught so much more criticism. He was the winning goalie in that game. But Rask gives up six, and he's still, you know, <laughs> people consider him like the greatest goalie of all time. Crawford gives up five, and he's the Achilles heel. So I think Crawford has proven that he's good enough to win. He's not on a level of Lundquist or even Rask, even though I just said that. But he's a guy that, you know, I trust out there. He's a battler. Um, he's He makes himself big in net. Yeah, he'll give you a softy every once in a while. But for the most part, um, he's our guy. They've committed to him uh, six years and and $36 million. So he's, he's the guy. So he better not be a weakness. I think he's proven that, obviously, that he can be a winner. And, uh, and yeah, I, I'm on... I'm on Crawford's side. I think he's good enough, and I'm glad he's our goalie. Well, I think my opinion, or well, not my opinion, but the way I view the criticism of his glove hand is skewed because I went to college in Boston, so most of the people that I follow on Twitter or talk to are, uh, you know, are from Boston. They they cover the Bruins, so um, yep. you know they're obviously going to side with their their goalie, and they're they're the ones that are going to dish out the criticism. So maybe it was a little unfair and biased towards the Bruins there. Well, I mean, he he got that in Chicago too. It wasn't just Boston. He he. He's, every time he has a bad game, I feel like I'm fighting off people on Twitter that you know want to go to Auntie Ranta or whoever the backup happens to be at that time. But Crawford's a solid goalie. He's not a top tier guy, but he's he's a winner. Like he could have, if you look at his numbers in the playoffs last year, I think he had like a nine thirty something save percentage, and he won the cup. Like he, he, if they had given Crawford the con Smythe, nobody would have batted an eye. Like he he played well enough to be the playoff MVP, but he's I think it's kind of like one of those situations where it's like oh and they could have won with anybody because the the rest of the roster is so strong. That that's they that's think the that, thing I think, and it's yeah. funny that you say you know you look at his numbers in the playoffs how good he was. It's the opposite here because Henrik Lundqvist, no matter how good he plays, people are always they always like to cite that you know his playoff record's bad. The Rangers don't win a Stanley Cup, even though that any success they've had since the post lockout is due to him. They got to win him. one and, nothing ex- <laughs> exactly, and people still <laughs> like to complain here that you know he doesn't have a ring as though he's the only guy out there doing the job. So it's just funny because guys like Crawford who really get all the criticism during uh, you know during the rest of the season, or or like a Mark Andre Fleury who beat the Red Wings, he won a Stanley Cup, so they sort of Right. Get get a free pass, and it's a guy like Lundqvist who has all the talent in the world, and he still takes flack for it. And it's also, I think, that's kind of a product of being in New York as well. Like you're under the microscope. You're King Henrik. You know, you're he's he's kind of like a hockey Joe Namath in a lot of ways. Like he hasn't won, but he's got that swagger about him. He's good looking, and you know, he's he's a true New York celebrity. Uh, so I think that that probably has to play into it too, don't you think? No, I definitely agree with that, and I think that here, more than anywhere, people, all they do is care about when you win, and unless you're A-Rod, uh, once you win, you're, you get a free pass, and you know, A-Rod right. could have hit a walk-off home run in every playoff game he's ever played, and it still wouldn't have been enough. But They, they still would have booed him. Exactly. Yeah. So I think and Lundquist, rightfully so. And rightfully yeah, no, so. I agree, yeah. rightfully so. Yeah. And I think Lundquist, now that he's locked up for the rest of his career in New York, um, one day his number 30 will go to the Raptors and MSG, and I think the only thing that – 
needs to be done now is win the cup. I mean, after winning the Vesna, um, he's yep. probably going to be the winningest goalie in Rangers history now, almost at 300 wins here. So uh, that's going to be the one thing he needs. And, and after that, I, I mean, now that he's on the other side of 30, um, I always like to bring up that you don't want to, the Rangers can't afford to waste any more years of Henrik Lundqvist prime because to get him between him and Richter, they had so many bad experiments with goaltending and you never know when you're going to get another guy like this. And uh, so they really need to get it done pretty soon here. And uh, I think it's going to start here with the Ryan Callahan trade. That's bound to happen. I believe they really so you're, you're, get it on, done you're on board with trading Callahan as well. Then huh? I, I am definitely on board. I mean, well, I will say this. I'm on board if it's for the right thing, because I think this is the biggest move that Glenn Saylor's ever had to make with the Rangers, obviously not in his career because yep. he traded Gretzky, but in the 14 years he's been in New York, it's the most significant decision he's had to make because of where the Rangers are, um, their superstars age-wise, where they are with their cap hits. Um, they don't really have a lot of wiggle room going forward. So if he mm-hmm. trades Callahan here and it backfires and they go in the tank and don't make the playoffs and this thing unravels over the next year or two, uh, it's really going to screw up the, the the path of this franchise. So I think this yeah. move alone could hold a lot of meaning and, and could maybe destroy the season if it's not done correctly. But if it's yeah. for Martin St. Louis, I mean, I'll go, I'll drive a car down this table Bay and pick him up and bring it back. <laughs> See, now we have a Rangers guy uh, who writes for Barstool New York. Is six ten, and he and I have talked about this. This was a while ago. I kind of think the Rangers should blow it up and press reset and get rid of Nash, get rid of, get rid of everybody, and just build it around McDonough, Callahan, and Hank, and and see where it goes from there. Because I don't think that they have enough championship stop enough championship type players and I don't even include Nash as a championship type player um, to get this team over the hump like uh, Lundquist, he might steal a series he's not going to steal four uh, you just can't do it so I, I think that they should you know kind of re- try to rebuild on the fly somehow and take any assets that they have to get young players and try to hit it in like two years and build around those three as your core because I don't I don't, I've never been a big Rick Nash guy. I saw him loaf it way too many times um, playing against him with Columbus. And I don't know. I, I kind of think that that should be the move where you're going to keep finishing in third place in the Atlantic rather than, okay, let's take a step, like two, one step back to two steps forward and try to remake that roster. Got to get rid of Brad Richards somehow, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I would be on board with that plan. Only exceptions are, one, I would not get rid of Nash only because I was so big on getting him. In the 2011-2012 season, I was willing to give up. I was willing to back up the truck, give him Kreider, give him whatever they wanted. Uh, just the, I would give up yep. 10 guys, the whole farm system, because that Rangers team... Uh, when they, they were the first, score. when they were the first seed in the East, you know everything went right for them that season, and nothing had gone right for the Rangers in 15 years before that, since the last time they went to the conference finals. And for them to get the one seed, um, the come from behind wins they had, they won seven game series in the first two rounds before they lost to the Devils. And I think mm-hmm. they just needed that one goal scorer to get them over the hump. I think that series against the Devils would have been differently. I don't know that they would have beaten the Kings, but I think Nash was the missing piece on that team. Now, you know, it's a little different because of what's happened um, with Tortorella getting fired, the trade for Gabrick, which I, w- I was totally against because you're just giving yeah. away a 40-goal scorer. I think that if this season doesn't but go well, got, I, could, I could see that. Sorry them. to interrupt you, but they got a pretty good haul for Gabrick. Well, they did, but I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, the whole thing last year with the trade deadline was that they got more, um, they got Broussard, they got Chloe yeah. in another deal, but he ended well, up Well, I think John Moore. John Moore's a Chicago kid, and... 
you know, so I followed him since he was like 16. That kid's a stud. So I, that's what I mean. Like you can you can take a Mark Stahl, and then McDonough and John Moore, and now you've got three really good defensemen going, young defensemen going forward. And if you can flip Nash and get a similar package, and now you're really you're cooking. But I, I mean, if you're a team, you follow it a lot more closely than I do. I just don't think that they have enough right now. No, I mean, I don't think so either. Off. I think that for them yeah. to win, they'll always be a playoff team. Yeah, they'll, but they'll always be the you know the six, seven, eight seed is the problem. Right, exactly. And the thing with them is that they're going to and and they really should have been a six, seven, eight seed two years ago, but they ended up with the one seed because they won so many shootouts. They won every one. Yep. Their one goal game record was just ridiculous. Uh, and, and, I, uh, I remember that actually. Yeah. Yeah, and Lundqvist had a below two goals again. So I mean, when you put all those things together, uh, it's sort of like the perfect storm. But the thing right. with Callahan. Is that not? I don't. I necessarily not necessarily wouldn't build around him only because he just doesn't produce enough. And and the way he yeah. plays the game, you know, max effort guy grinding it out in the corners, blocking shots like with his ankles, with his face. I mean, he's probably not going to give you you know eighty games, seventy five games every season. Um, and and there's just the, their problem has always been since the Yager, Nylander, Straka days ended six years ago is that they don't score enough. And Lundqvist, right. he can't win. Uh, you know. You can't give up a goal and then lose one nothing as many times as they have in the playoffs. After a while, it just gets old. Yeah. So this is the other thing I kicked around with some Rangers guys I know. Would you do Brian Bickle, who makes four million a year for the next, you know, three years? It was a four-year, sixteen million dollar contract, and Christopher Steeg for Callahan. Um. No, I mean I'd have to look more into it. It's, I mean, yeah. the way you present it, it might be intriguing if I really look more into it. But I mean, if Callahan goes for those two guys, who you just told me, you know, they struggle to find a spot in the lineup. It seems like we're just giving the Blackhawks a red carpet to the to another cup. Well, I would love that. I, I just <laughs> think that I mean, Pickle, he's a, he's a, yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah. But we we give you two young roster players on, on a pretty good deal, and then we'd have to let Callahan walk after the season. So maybe you'd have another crack at him um, as a as a as a free agent in the summer because there's no way we'd be able to re-sign him, even if we gave you six million dollars worth of players. So I don't know something like I just love Callahan, so I was like fooling around and talking to people and saying like how you know how could we get this guy? To, you know, <laughs> I think I mean I, I, I like Callahan little. too, and I think every Ranger fan loves a homegrown guy, especially the sure. captain. And you don't right. you don't want to see him go for nothing, but you also don't want to see him leave this summer for nothing and uh, you know be stuck uh, just getting absolutely nothing for a guy you could have traded and at least gotten a few picks yeah. at, the, at the worst for. So I just think that it's come to the point now where unless he lowers his demands uh, over the next week, which it doesn't look like it's going to happen, uh, you just can't be putting nine or ten percent of your payroll into a guy who's a, who's really a grinder and at the best is going to give you twenty to twenty five goals. Yeah, fair. I he just. He's like an intangibles guy, but you're right, and you can't give him that much money. So I hope that he'll. I, I also feel like he just belongs in New York for some reason. He's like Mr. Ranger, like he kind of he and Hank Lundqvist to find this generation. So I'd like to see them figure out a way to to keep him. Trading him for San Luis, as much as I love San Luis, just I don't know, it just doesn't feel right to me. Like both of those guys belong on their current teams. Yeah, and it feels. If they do do that move, I mean, St. Louis is obviously the better offensive player. 
um, mm-hmm. which isn't even a question. But the thing with that, it seems like it seems like a 2000 or 2002 Rangers move where, you know, they're bringing in some guy who's just about yeah. to retire, hoping that they'll uh, catch lightning in a bottle with him. Right. And uh, it's, it's you, th- you think they learn from their mistakes, but here we are, and they still haven't done this. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that has to be part of the pressure of playing in the Big Apple, though, too. Where oh, you yeah, gotta, definitely. you got to win games and headlines. And you can't, like, you can't be constantly rebuild. You can't really do a rebuild. No, you can't. And people yeah. people won't sit around for that. And uh, right. no matter what the sport is here, you really can't do that. And it right. and if you do it, you know it's such a it's such a great risk because of the revenue and the fans you'll lose that it's just mm-hmm. uh, it's just too risky. Right. And your own job. I feel you know like oh, yeah. if you're a GM, it's like we, you can't sit there and say, well, we're going to blow it up. Yeah. And I think that's part of the part of what happened with Tortorella. I know you know last season after the Bruins series, uh, starting with him benching his so-called good friend uh, Richards, which is was just ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know why you're trying to teach lessons when your season's on the line, but I think sure. uh, the way that that series ended had more to do with it than him losing the locker room because they were embarrassed in that series, and uh, right. if Tukaras doesn't give up that memorable flopping, falling down goal, <laughs> yeah. they, they lost that game. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, and I think that... That series proved how far away... I mean, for the Bruins to lose the Cub to the Blackhawks, the Bruins looked dominant in that series. They looked dominant against the Penguins. Granted, they had a miracle against the Maple Leafs. They should have been out of the tournament all, to begin with, but the, yep. the Rangers are so far removed from the Bruins in that series that you know that's the same Bruins team you're getting this year, and I don't know that this Rangers team, if they were to face them again in seven games, I don't think it would go much better than it did last year. Yeah, I, I, I think the Bruins being a little bit worse is one of the best kept secrets in the NHL. Like I, I don't, they might they might still be the best team in the East, but I think that they've taken a step back. Like Charo looks a little bit slower to me. Their defense is all beat up. I think I do think that the Rangers, if they face them again, they they fare a little bit better. They probably wouldn't win the series, but I don't think they get dominated like they did last time. And the weird thing about last year is that everyone was like everyone, even in Boston, was picking the Rangers to win that series. Yeah, and that was just, a hot pick. Yeah, and they just completely lost it. But that also came down to Dan Girardi scoring about seven goals on on Henrik Lundqvist. So, I, <laughs> yeah. if we talk about Cali, and if there's anybody I want to get rid of um, in this city, it's Dan Girardi, and I'm willing to. It seems like they're going to resign him now, and they're going to let Callahan go and resign Girardi, which I think is a mistake. But I mean, yeah, this guy's been too. as bad as you could possibly be for an NHL defenseman or since going back to last spring. Yeah, I think that's probably where their, their problems start for the ring. I mean, I know you, the, the goaltender, or not goaltender, goal scoring has been an issue, but outside of McDonough, like the, the eye injury to stall seemed like that really hurt the Rangers. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he was out yeah. for an extended period of time, and they almost, I mean, that would have been one of the biggest reasons they didn't get in the playoffs last year if he didn't come back. Right. All right. And it just seems like he hasn't quite been the same either. Like he was an impact defenseman, a top four guy, and now it seems like he's, his game's fallen off a little bit. So. Yeah, and and the other thing is that with the Rangers' defense is that going back two years ago when they were the one seed, everyone was talking about you know they got this great young core defenseman with Stahl, McDonough, Girardi sort of leading the pack, Delzato, mm-hmm. um, Strawman was in and out. Uh, yep. So it just seemed like everyone was hyping them up, and then they realized when Henrik Lundqvist was injured a little bit this year or when he wasn't playing, the defense isn't really as good as people make it out to be. It's the goalie right. that's been making them look good. And they don't, I mean, and they traded their – I was never a big Dells Auto guy, but I thought that, you know, that if that unit needs something, it's a puck mover. And, uh, and Dells Auto could be that guy. Now that, you know, now they kind of have all – seems like more defensive-minded defensemen where they could use, you know, an offensive – 
an offensive guy to start the attack and help the power play, but uh, I, I feel like they're in like purgatory. Like they, like they're not quite good enough to compete. <laughs> and they've been like that for like fifteen yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one guy who's actually been doing a good job is uh, the former Blackhawk Daniel uh, Carbom Carcillo. So he's actually been a, a good boost and a good surprise to the fourth line. It seems like he would have been a good fit to stay with the Blackhawks. He he never really got off on the right foot with us. Like we signed him. Uh, to add a little bit of extra sand because that was really like the Hawks won the cup uh, in 2010 and that team was great because they could play any way you couldn't intimidate them because they had Burrish and Eager and Bufflin and Andrew Ladd and some guys that you know that, that brought a lot of grit and, uh, and toughness to the roster but because of the salary cap uh, they had to do that purge and they ended up getting rid of all those guys in their bottom six so they tried to bring in Carcillo to bring that element. And it just didn't work. Like he, his first year here, uh, he kept getting suspended. Uh, he, I think he got suspended at least three times that first year for different hits. And then on one hit, he uh, that he actually got suspended for. I think he also like tore his ACL. So it was like, all right, now you you know you're you have a four game suspension, and we'll see you next year. And then he just. He came back last year, and he had some moments. He had the big goal in the regular season that kept the win streak going, um, you know, the unbeaten streak to start the year. But he he just couldn't – the Hawks play at such a fast pace, and when he came back from the ACL, he had lost half a step, and he just couldn't keep up. So he, he wasn't he, he wasn't good enough to, to really play for us um, the way we want to play. And he, you know, maybe his knee is, is better now, but he was, he just wasn't going to be a fit. And Andrew Shaw, uh, his emergence, uh, kind of made car bomb something that, you know, they didn't really need. So they, I think they dumped him on LA for like a seventh round pick. Well, the thing with him that's weird is he's the guy that, of course, when he's on another team, you hate him, but he's on your team, you love him, but. He he's he hasn't really done anything nuts, and I've expected him to do, just go crazy yeah. one game for the Rangers, but he hasn't done anything too crazy. And the funny thing is, when you start to watch him more often, I mean, only in the past do I really remember him, you know, as a flyer playing against the Rangers. Often is that he he actually can play. Like he's not just out there gooning it up. He actually does have some skills. Yeah, and I, when when they first got him, the Hawks, that is, he he got some games in the top six. Like there was a couple times that he was on a line with. Um, uh, on a line with Kane, on a line with Hoso, like they were juggling things. And he, I want to say he probably did a quarter of the time um, initially in the top six before it was like, okay, like you just, you're not quite at that pace. Uh, so then, they, you know, it was hard to find a spot for him in the lineup. And then, like I said, once, once Andrew Shaw got called up, and I don't know how familiar you are with him, but he's, he's kind of a little shit just like uh, Carcillo is in, in some ways, where he's needling you, his glove in your face, all that stuff, uh, and plays a hard game, hard guy to play against. So it was like, okay, well, we really don't need two guys like that. And Shaw is younger and cheaper and better, so we're going to keep him. When you talked about Carcillo uh, scoring that goal that kept the win streak alive, it made me think about the fact that the Blackhawks, no matter if it's the regular season, if it's the postseason, how many goals are down, it just seems like they always come back. And 
the Rangers don't have that. They they have sort of the more of it's they're up to nothing. You go to the bathroom, you come back, it's tied. And I just it's just remarkable how no matter what the scores of a Blackhawks game, they could be down three to one the first, and I just know at some point it's going to be tied. I, I mean, we're so spoiled here now. These last you know five six years. I remember there was a game uh, in 2010 when they. The first year they won the Cup, they were playing Calgary in the regular season, and Calgary was, was pretty good that year. Uh, the Hawks got down 5 nothing, and came back with 1-6-5. So it's just like it, like you said, it feels like we're never truly out of a game. This year, maybe not as much, um, but they just have so much firepower that you just can't can't count them out. Like, we, like if we get down, like I fully expect – I'm always like shocked when the Hawks lose. Like, you know, like, I, I know it's a you know, regular season and it happens and whatever, but it's like, man, like, I can't believe be we just lost it. It's awesome. Like, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't lie. It's, it's good to be a Blackhawks fan these days. <laughs> well, you mentioned being spoiled and I was, like I said before, I was in Chicago. My first time ever going to Chicago and it was that, uh, that midweek game Wednesday night against the Rangers. Um, yeah, I was and, at that game too, actually. Oh, you were? And there, yeah. there was another example of the 2 nothing lead. The Rangers blew it and the Blackhawks came back and the Rangers were able yeah. to hold on. But I think the biggest thing I took away from going to Chicago for those three days was that everywhere you go, it's like there's pictures of Patrick Cade drinking out of the cup. There's jerseys here. There's yep. signed stuff here. And I just, I mean, I've only ever been there now since they've won two cups in four years, but has it always been like that? No. Um, I would say all of this really happened, uh, this this Blackhawks renaissance in Chicago really happened once. Uh, the owner died. His guy, Bill Wirtz, um, he ran the team from, you know, the 60s on. But it really, he really, became, and he was always called Dollar Bill Wirtz because he was cheap. He let Bobby Hull leave for the WHA. Uh, but the team, you know, because salaries weren't astronomical like they are now, it wasn't as big of a deal until the early 90s when, um, you know, you really had to start shelling out some serious dough. So that's when, and, and cable TV came around at the same time. He refused to put home games on TV, so you could not watch. If the Blackhawks were playing Detroit or whoever, you couldn't watch it unless you were in the stadium. And then he all, he... Traded Dominic Hasek, traded Ed Belfour, uh, traded Chris Chelios, <laughs> let Jeremy Roenick walk, and let Tony Amani walk. So they had some really good teams there in the early 90s, and Bill Wirtz ruined it by, A, not even putting the games on TV, and then trading away all of the good players and fan favorites. Um, and really, I mean, he killed hockey for a generation in the city, and then he died right at about the same time um, Pave and Kane were coming. So they had already drafted both of those guys, and I think they their rookie year was the first year without Bill Wirtz, and his son Rocky came in, and Rocky put the games on TV, and, and kind of the rest was history, and the Hawks got good right at the same time. It was kind of a perfect storm where they had the two young kids uh, who were exciting to watch, and then new ownership effectively and, and games on TV. So it, it's been, it's been great since like 2008. Yeah. 
uh, in the last six years. With Roenick there, you mentioned him, and I think people forget how good he was, or at least people outside of Chicago don't seem to remember how good he was when he first came up there in the early 90s with the Blackhawks. And as a youth hockey player, I remember it was such a big deal because he had an Easton shaft that uh, you know everyone's yep. using wood sticks. And it was I think people were talking like, oh, Jeremy Roenick has a stick, it's $100, which now right. just seems ridiculous because you have you know eight-year-olds using one pieces that are $250. Exactly, yeah. But – I, I mean, he, kind of th- those guys that. you named, I mean, th- they had great players back then, and they did lose to yep. the Penguins in the finals, but, uh, you know, they could have built something even back then. I lived in, in New England as a young kid. I was actually a Hartford Whaler fan when I was really little. Um, but we would play that NHL 94 game, or 95, on Sega. And there, we had, all uh, my little buddies in our neighborhood had a no Blackhawks rule because <laughs> they were unstoppable. Ronick couldn't be, he was the best player in like video game history, besides like Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl, they had Eddie the Eagle, Belfort, and that, and then Chelios to skate around and make people's head bleed. Like that team <laughs> was awesome in video games and awesome in real life, and it was just taken apart piece by piece yeah. by Bill Wirtz. Well, it's so. sort of a letdown that you tell me that the Chicago hasn't always been this crazy about the Blackhawks because, uh, I mean, in New York. You've got it's tough because there's so many different teams in each of the sports, and then there's just so much else going on in New York that when you go to bars, I mean, there's bars for basically every professional team. That's you could go into a bar expect yeah. to see the Yankees on, and they have you know the Pirates on because it's a Pittsburgh bar. It's just weird. So right. when well, I went, we there, have that here too. We really do. Like there's um there's there's pretty much a bar for every team, and and then really for college teams too. People there's there's a bar literally for like every single college. Nebraska, LSU. There's one. There's an LSU bar and a North Carolina bar right down the street um, from me. So it's there is that element. But yeah, we we don't have like three hockey teams like you guys have. So we, you know, when the Hawks won, it was it was party time. Yeah, and I think for, you know for ninety percent of the city. And I think that's the I think that's an awesome thing because you know when the Yankees win the World Series, half the you know or I guess more than half are Yankees fans, but yeah. are pumped, and the other half hate the Yankees because they're Mets fans. And I think right. uh, just going around the city in, in Chicago and seeing all the Blackhawks stuff, I was like, you know, I. I mean, in Boston, the Bruins now have sort of built up what they are, and after being yeah. on the back burner for a while. But I mean, this was something else, and I just couldn't believe. It. I was like, this. Everyone here loves hockey. This is awesome. Well, it's it's twofold. It's you know, everyone's on this Hawks team because a they're great, and b they play an awesome style. Like they're just they're like you, if you're a casual fan, I think it's easy to watch the Blackhawks and enjoy it. And the other half of that is that every other team is terrible. Right? Derrick Rose, you know, is hurt again, so the Bulls are kind of like a whatever team, middle of the pack. Um, the White Sox are brutal. The Cubs have been terrible for literally 114 years now. And the Bears are kind of in a, you know, no man's land too. They're, they, I feel like they've been 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven just on the outside of the playoffs the last three or four years. So, you have everyone is average or worse, and then you have one team that's awesome. It makes it easy to market. You know, they're the best. They're the best show in town. Have you ever been, or maybe you have been a bunch to the bar? It's called Mother Hubbard's. I've heard of it. Yeah. Oh, all right. Because I, I remember we went there uh, after after the game. I think that Wednesday night. And, yeah. uh, you know, the place was just a typical dive bar, but one of my friends uh, got a rack of ribs there, which seemed like they'd probably been sitting in the freezer for a decade, and we all joked with him that, you know, he was going to end up in the hospital or something for meeting him. So I just wanted to talk to someone that, you know, knew that area and knew that bar, and if it was uh, as divey, dumpy as a place as it looked. Yeah, that wouldn't be my uh, 
my number one choice for a Blackhawks postgame bar, but um, next time you're in town, Haymarket is, uh, it's on, um can't think of the cross streets right now, but it's like, you know, three or four, it's on Halstead. It's like maybe a quarter of a mile away from the United Center, and great, great spot to like go after the game. Uh, it's a micro-brew place, so they have all their own beers. It's, that's the place to go post-game if you're going to get outside the stadium a little bit. I like getting, uh, I, I know a few Blackhawks fans and their reaction after what happened in uh, in Game 6 last year in the 17 seconds, and the emotional swing going from, you know, knowing this thing's going, you're going to be home for a Game 7, but the fact that it had to go to a Game 7, to then looking at overtime, to then looking at this, at winning the Cup all in the matter of basically a minute of real time, and, you know, what yeah. what was the emotional swing of that, and then I'm sure the after party was just ridiculous. We had a Barstool watch party for Game Six, um, so we had, you know, packed bar, and everyone was like really nervous because it was a one nothing. There was a one one game, and then we each scored late, and we're like, oh god, like here we go. But you know, everyone kind of felt like we'd be able to. You never, like we said earlier, you never give up on the Hawks because they're just so talented. And then when Bickle scored. You know, the the bar erupted, and we played that Chelsea Dagger um, goal song in the bar. I'm sure you're familiar with, or maybe oh, yeah. not, but it, that's like the Blackhawks goal song. And it seemed like, you know, as soon as, like, we weren't even really done celebrating the tying goal when Boland scored to, to, <laughs> to put us ahead. So then we just did the whole thing over again uh, to do that we're ahead, and now there's a, a minute or so to go. And then we celebrated like crazy, a minute later, because they had won the cup. So it was just like all the, you know, like you said, it was a roller coaster, but it was just like up and up and up and up, like for the last minute. Like after the Luchich goal, it was all crazy because we just never stopped celebrating in real time because like the, the tying goal and then the winning goal and then the clock expiring all happened so fast that like your, your, your head was spinning a little bit. We had confetti and balloons and music and girls, and it, it was it was a great, it was a great scene. So it's a, it's a great sports memory for me being at that uh, at our party there. Before uh, the 2009-10 season, the Blackhawks hadn't won in 49 years. Uh, now right. you've got two cups in four years. The Rangers haven't won the cup since I was in second grade. Um, and as a Yankees fan, I don't believe, at least when it comes to them in a grace period, because I, you know, I say when they win that, you know, I don't care if they ever win again, but on opening day, if they leave the bases, you know, I'm like freaking out. But for right. you guys now, that's two cups in four years after almost 50 years without one. Is there a grace period or, or is anything other than a cup now this year going to be looked at as a disappointment? It, I think it's a disappointment. Um, I think everyone appreciates it because we had gone for so long without a winner. That and you don't know when you're like this is. I think everyone recognizes that this is a truly special team. We've never like players like Taze and Kane and Duncan Keith. Those guys don't come around very often. So you better take advantage of it while you know you have them on your team and they're in their prime. I would be crushed if this team didn't get the four cups eventually. Like I don't. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't. I don't like. I joke around about you know the dynasty and things like that. I know it's not really a dynasty, but it could be. um, But it could be, and and it should be. So it would feel like a little bit of a letdown if they don't. Like they should have a decade here. Like I don't. I'm trying to like trying to like the Yankees where they're where they're in it every single year, and you expect them to win every single year. 
So I, I don't know. I mean, this year I'm there's a little bit of doubt creeping in, um, but because it, and it's just so hard to win it in back to back years. But I think that this team has more cups in them, and with the you know the salary cap goes up drastically the next two years, so that should help us a little bit. And then you know I I think Taves and Kane are both you know 25 and 26, so you have to think that they have at least six years of high-level championship caliber play. The NHL season's so long, even for teams that don't make the playoffs, their offseason's short as is, and for the Blackhawks, they keep going on these extended runs. You win the Cup, by the time you're done partying, it's like training camp begins in like five minutes, and it just seems like it's so hard to do it back-to-back, but like you said, they have the roster where they're capable of, and going back a few years ago when they they came back in that series against Vancouver before they eventually lost, uh, I'm sure that was heartbreaking, but it just sort of reiterated the point of how hard it is to to keep winning these seven-game series. Yeah, and the, the, if you remember correctly, the, the Hawks really limped into the playoffs that year. And they, they were the eighth seed. They barely made the playoffs. And um, and then they they got down pretty, you know, in a 3-0 hole. And then it felt like we had it. We lost that game seven in overtime. And then Vancouver went on to the Stanley Cup. They, yeah. That was the year that they lost in seven to Boston. So it really felt like even that year where that was the first year after the Cup where we had, you know, the roster was just decimated because of financials, that Taves and Kane and Sharp and, and the core guys were able to put the team on their back enough that if they had beaten Vancouver, you know, if they had gotten the goal in that overtime, I think Sharp hit the post, that goes in. I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they could have kept on going. So, like, the margin for error in the NHL, as you know, is, like, so slim that it is sometimes a bounce here or there. But I think that, you know, I think that they should just keep winning. Like, they're, those guys are good enough and, and, and really better than, than a lot of the guys. And then now they have Brandon Saad coming uh, along. He's like a, a baby Marion Hosa. They play very similar. And they got some other really nice young prospects, too. This guy, Karabainen from Finland, was the leading scorer of the World Junior Championship. They've, you know, this past year, he'll be on the team next year. They're like, they're set up for a long run, and I'd be disappointed if they didn't get a couple more. I think a, a craziest thing about that series, not only the fact that they were down 3 0, they forced a game seven, but they tied it late. And it yeah. seemed like when yep. you when you tie it that late and then you go in the locker room and you you know, you have so much momentum after coming out three oh, I can't believe they lost that game and then the Canucks go on to to the cup and they lose in game seven. But on the well, other side And it was like uh it was like a hero goal. Exactly. Like, hey, like guys it was like this is another notch in his legacy. Oh yeah, and on the other like, side he's Superman. Yeah, and on the other side of things in the East the Bruins, in, in their series with the Canadians, uh, their their game went to game uh, seven, and they won that right. after Sub- Subban scored it late. And you just felt like, well, there's no way this team's going to win now. They just you know blew their series in the last – there was only seconds left in that. I remember it was like a bomb right. from the point he took. And yeah. I was just like, the Canadians are winning this game. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, both – uh, the Bruins win that, the Canucks win that, and they're the teams that go on yeah. from the first round all the way to the Cubs. So it's just crazy, like you said, with the bounces, how things work out. Right. And then it could have easily ended last year with the Hawks if they were down 3-1 to Detroit. And, you know, they had a Michael throw league penalty shot in game six that kind of that gave them a two-goal lead. Uh, and then they had uh, game seven went to overtime. So it, it, it's it's so hard to win the NHL. But the Hawks just—they just, just got to take advantage of this group because they're, you know, 
they're young still and so good. So you know they they, they can do it. It's just you know it's going to be hard to repeat because of uh, the wear and tear and being in an Olympic year too probably didn't help, but. One of the things that's uh, it's hard to sort of live in the moment when it happens is what you're living through right now with this team is that it sort of becomes a machine. You just expect them to win, and right. you don't really realize how like when you ex- when you talk about the Blackhawks, uh, you just think they're going to win every game, and they lose in the regular season. You're like, well, have that happen? And I think right. that's the way it used to be with the Yankees. And then once it's not like that anymore, and you realize how hard it is to win, how many players have to get drafted correctly and fall into place, it just it's just crazy. And I think you know, like you said they need to keep going with this because the guys are in their prime they're at the right age and uh you know once uh Taves and Kane get on the other side of 30 it's not going to be like the way it was exactly so uh, this is the time like this next five six year window is you know where they need to make a run where they just need to keep winning every year they've got the pieces and, and Duncan Keith is really he gets overshadowed a little bit by some of the offensive guys but he's you know He's the, the real straw that stirs the drink, so to speak, if we're going to get cliche. But he's, he's the engine. He's so fast. He can play 30 minutes if you need him to. He's, I think he's leading the league in points as defenseman. He's, and he's, you know, he's locked up long-term, and he's 28. So we got to, you know, this is the time where, you know, I, I, I never even realized it really until this, con- this conversation, but the clock is ticking on somebody. <laughs> they got to get like, to work. Oh, yeah, they got to get to work. So now I was thinking, ah, oh, like if they don't win it this year, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is. Now, now I think a lot, Neil. Like now I'm like kind of stressing about this year. We need more cups. Well, with the Rangers, it's group. like you just hope you get out of the second round, and if you do that, it's like, yeah, hey, whatever. Here is house money. But for you guys, it's uh, it's final or bust. Exactly, it's championship or bust. Like championship you, they, or bust. They, they right. you don't want to get all the way there and lose. That's just miserable. Exactly, that's the worst case scenario. So then you still don't get the summer to recoup. Yeah. So, you basically, it's like you just ruined your next season. Exactly. So hopefully, you know, the Hawks, you know, they had a little bit of roster turnover where they lost for a week in Boland uh, this past summer, but they kept the majority of the, of the group together. I think that they can do it. It's going to be hard to go through St. Louis, which is all but guaranteed this year. Like, that's a that's a bad team. Like, they, they like to – they play rough and – um, and they play a heavy game, so that's not really the hot thing. So they're they're going to take a beating in that series, and hopefully they're they're healthy enough to continue on after that. Well, with the break ending here now, it's sort of hard to see how teams will respond three weeks away. Um, for the Blackhawks, I mean, they're going to the playoffs, barring something disastrous happening down the stretch here. The Rangers, on the other hand, you know, they need to come out of the gate hot. They've got Chicago, they've got Philly, they've got Boston, all between Thursday and Sunday. Um, and they're fighting against Philly to stay out of the wild card spot. So, you know, what do you expect from the Blackhawks coming out of the break here? Do you think, you know, they're going to get back right back on track? Do you think there'll be sort of a lull from the Olympic break? And uh, what type of game are you expecting on Thursday night to kick it off? I wish it was a home game. Um, just because, you know, the Hawks did send 10 guys over there and six of them played in the gold medal game. So I do wish it was a home game. I think that'd make it a little easier. I, I think it's natural to have a lull um, as, you know, the guys get back together and whatever, but I, I think that I think the Rangers, if you're a gambling man, would probably be a good pick for that game. Um, and then the Hawks have the uh, stadium series against the Penguins on Saturday. So hopefully, you know, two kind of marquee games will hopefully grab their attention uh, and make the lull as short as possible coming back. 
All right, Ryan. Well, I thank you for joining me today to talk about this. And uh, I'd like to say, you know, maybe we'll get to do this again in uh, in June if the two teams meet in the Stanley Cup final. But I have a God willing, I would love to play the Rangers in June. <laughs> I think that I know, that would be a big time uh, series. I'll you could start engraving a cup in Game One for the Hawks if, <laughs> if, uh, if that's the matchup. Well, so I, I'd, I'd love for that to happen. You know, I'd I'd like to think maybe we get to talk again then, but I think it'd probably be just me asking you if you're if you're willing to come on and talk about the uh, about the Blackhawks playing whoever they're playing in the Stanley Cup. <laughs> well, hey, anytime. So feel free. You've got my number now. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right. No problem, Neil. Thanks.